Well, welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. Scott Trout, Managing Partner, CEO of Cordell and Cordell. Twice a week, every week, we'll bring to you information for guys before, during, and after divorce. And of course, in this podcast, uh, we want to encourage you to schedule an initial consultation and not rely on this as legal advice because it is not. We just can't give that to you without meeting with you, getting the specific facts of your case, and really providing a sound strategy for you. And so we encourage you to do that. Give us a call at 866-DANSLAW or check us out on the web at cordellcordell.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast. You'll get alerted after every posting and you can stay in tune with what's going on and hear from another member of the Cordell and Cordell attorneys from around the country like today. And I'm joined once again with a repeat with Lauren from the Dallas area. Welcome. Hi, Scott. Good to see you. Yeah, so let's talk about visitation. You know, coming out of COVID, that was a, a really hot topic uh, during it and enforcing it. And obviously we're seeing uh, in some of the consults I'm doing, some residual effect uh, enforcing visitation rights for guys. And it could be um, just even custody, if it's during the, or, you know, divorce before divorce or even after divorce. And so uh, let's kind of go through enforcing visitation and understand that for guys and give them some directions and tips, um, some prerequisites, kind of let's talk about what it is you need first in order to kind of enforce visitation. We use that word specifically. All right. Well, uh, as a parent, neither one of you necessarily has a superior right to possession over the other parent if there's no court orders. Uh, there's nothing saying who's supposed to have the kid when. You know, you have just as much right as the other parent um, to have the kid. And so that can often lead to disputes. Um, so you need a court order, first and foremost, um, that you can look at and say, I know this is when I am supposed to have my child. And so those court orders, they need to be specific. So you can know, all right, if I look at this piece of paper, I know when I'm supposed to have my child. I know when, where I'm supposed to go. Um, just those, basically, who is supposed to turn over the child at what time, on what day, at what location. And if your order isn't specific enough, that can lead to future disputes. And so yeah. when we're talking about enforcing, if things are just kind of left up to question, then the judge doesn't know when you're supposed to have your kid either. So you need to have a very specific order. Yeah, the specificity is so big. I mean, I can't tell you how many, and I know you've seen them, orders from guys that you know didn't use Cordell and Cordell and they're vague or um, there's no, which I like to include is a right of first refusal language that if, you know, uh, let's just say mom, mom is unavailable and um, the children, before it's, you know, giving them to a babysitter or someone else, a friend, she has to consult with you and offer it to you first. You, know, you want to look for that language, but you definitely, you know, I, I'm dealing with a case right now where uh, my client's like, look, we'll get along, we'll be fine, you know, everything's cordial. So we, we don't really need to be very specific about the holiday schedule. And I'm like, I hate those. oh my gosh, it's, and I said, look, I get it. But let's just assume the worst case scenario. In three years from now, you get in a huge argument. You want to have this agreement that you can rely on in the event of a, of a disagreement. I'm not telling you have to follow it now, but mm -hmm. you don't want to come back to court and have to spend a ton of money to try to get a specific order that you can enforce later. So they kind of get it that way. But I think that's a good point to talk about specificity um, because it is. It's 
you know, it's got to be specific. Otherwise, a judge is going to go, look, I, it, I can't help you. I, you know, I can't. I think I know what you meant. But unless I know, you know, concretely, I can't do anything about it. And so that leads into actually showing up, actually performing or trying to exercise your rights according to the judgment. Right. That's important. Right. So um, I always tell my clients it's kind of like minority report. Um, you know, you even if you think, oh, you know, the custodial parent, they're not going to turn over the child to me. So I'm just not even going to bother. Well, if you don't show up, you can't come back to the court and complain, hey, they didn't turn over the child because you don't know for sure without actually attempting um, to pick up the child. And so you're just going to be up a creek if you're not showing up. One of the defenses to an enforcement is voluntary relinquishment. So if you didn't show up, the custodial parent is just going to say, well, sorry about you. You didn't show up. It's not my fault. I get it. I mean, guys get frustrated and maybe they've been denied a hundred times and they're like, why do I bother anymore? You know, I, I always tell guys, you know, from this day after your divorce, you're preparing every day for the next court day. And that is, uh, record, you know, document, document, document. And that is, yeah, I always say, keep a journal, send a text message, send an email, leave a voicemail, uh, document what happened in the conversations. For example, you know, I'm on the phone with my ex-wife and she says, look, don't bother coming over. I'm not going to give you custody anyway. They don't want to see you. I don't want to see you. And so I would send an email saying, hey, just confirming that I'm available to, to exercise my rights. Today is my day. You've told me not to show up and you won't provide them. Um, I'm going to come anyway. I'm hoping you change your mind. And then you go. I showed up. You refused to answer the door. You know, when can you make up this con- this visitation for me? You know, be cordial because you're going to use it in court. You know, mm-hmm. don't be aggressive and, you know, use the, the words you want to say, <laughs> you know, yeah. same in your head, not on paper or in love. Right. And, but so recording. Like just going to read everything. Yeah. So documenting, because I always say, you know, the worst case in representing guys is he said, she said he loses. And if you have something that says, okay, I sent this email, I've authenticated, there's all kinds of evidentiary issues with that, but she never replied. And I tried to assert my rights judge and here's where I sent her a text and here's the, you know, uh, the email. And then I sent her a certified letter. That's important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes down to, he said, she said, uh, then it's really up to the judge to decide, all right, well, who's more credible because the judge wasn't there. Um, so maybe, you know, one of the things that uh, sometimes people like to do is, you know, maybe they'll have a witness or sometimes clients, um, before talking to me, they call the police uh, to try to get a police report. And uh, ultimately, the police, unless they have a very specific order called a writ of attachment, um, which can only be obtained if the child is in actual imminent danger, the yeah. police normally don't have the authority to force a physical turnover of a child. And so ultimately, what will happen is they might you know, put together a police report that says, or an incident report that says, hey, custody dispute, somebody didn't turn over the child. Um, And so, yes, that could be evidence. However, it causes added drama, and that's usually not good in de-escalating a situation. Um, And you can otherwise, like you mentioned, sending text messages or emails. 
um, and that it accomplishes the same purpose. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, calling the police is a first reaction. I'll get them. I'm calling the police. She'll be arrested and she won't be arrested. You know, and I get it. It, It's a tough job, you know, for the police to come in a domestic dispute that doesn't involve violence, right? And it's just the enforcement of an order, the interpretation of an order. They may say, okay, let me see it. And they may say to her, look, you really need to turn him over or her over. She says, no, they're really not going to do anything probably. They don't want to get involved. They'll just say, you know what, go to court. And, you know, that's the point. Unless you suggest imminent danger some allegations of abuse or neglect, they're not going to do it. I mean, they're going to keep the peace. They're going to, you know, send one of you home and say, don't come back. We don't want to come back. And I get it. You know, they're supposed to be the enforcement of law, but when it comes to domestic, it's not. And absent something that, you know, it is a writ or some other restraining order, they won't do it. And I do see, you know, I said, look, it really should be used for extreme purposes when you call the police, because imagine, child watching this you know and right. I, I get it and that's the last thing you want to do is be the cause of this more distress on behalf of the child even in the toughest of times there are usually opportunities for relief many husbands and dads listening now are struggling to stay current on alimony and child support orders you should know that this crisis may allow you to modify your support obligations but time is of the essence If you're a guy needing help right now, not someday when things are back to normal, call us at Cordell & Cordell. This is what we do. So I think the solution leads to talking about what can they do, enforcement ideas, and I have some thoughts and I'm curious what yours are. What really can guys do? All right, so first you have your enforceable order. Second, you show up. Third, you document that you showed up. And so once you have all those um, prerequisites, then it's time to file an actual enforcement. So that's a new court case that uh, you would file that says, hey, here's my underlying order on these specific dates and times. I was entitled to possession under the order and uh, the other parent didn't follow through. Mm -hmm. And so these enforcements, uh, the remedies that the court has, the court has a range of remedies. And so typically the primary one is contempt. So contempt of court is generally, uh, if you don't follow a court order, the court can order fines. The, and there's two kinds of contempt. There's civil contempt. So, hey, you get to sit in jail until you comply or criminal contempt of, hey, I'm going to sentence you to a particular length of time sitting in county jail um, for failure to comply as punishment. Yeah. Um, and so because there's jail time at risk, uh, it's quasi-criminal. And so there's a lot of constitutional due process rights at issue. And this is why it's very important, circling back to the prerequisites, that you have a very specific court order because when due process rights are at issue, judge can't put you in jail if your order wasn't sufficiently clear. So uh, it's nice to have an order that has teeth to it um, to somewhat ensure compliance. So that's one of the ranges. Um, In my experience, judges typically don't put somebody in jail on the first enforcement unless there's particularly egregious facts. Um, Often what I see is that the judge 
um, I order, hey, maybe I'll order you to pay a fine and I'm going to, it's in Texas, it's called community supervision or suspended commitment. So basically I'm sentencing you to jail, but it's kind of like probation. So just follow the order and then you won't have to serve your sentence. Um, And then uh, another added benefit is makeup time. So all those times that you were denied your possession, the court has the option to say, hey, you get to make up all that time missed. So if you missed a weekend, here, you get an extra weekend. If she messed with your summertime, here's um, some extra allocated time for that. Um, And then a third option is, well, why do I have to pay attorney's fees to get an order that enforce that the judge already said you have to comply with so the court also has the option to order the other side to pay your attorney's fees that you incurred in having to go tattle to the judge yeah and i think it's you know like missouri for example which is a i don't know about other states but we have something called a family access motion which is a, a quasi contempt <laughs> and but it uh, the courts are required um, in a normal non-pandemic era to get someone in in the first 45 days, you know, where mm-hmm. contempt, for example, here may take eight months. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that gives you the same remedies of makeup time, a fine, potential mm-hmm. criminal, or not criminal, um, a, a civil contempt in terms of jailing. Uh, yeah. But I think I would encourage guys listening to see if there's things outside of contempt too that can get you into court that are limited to enforcement of visitation rights, but also pull your, your divorce decree and your settlement agreement if you have one. Uh, I like to include provisions that in the event that uh, a party is found or someone seeks to enforce the provisions of the agreement and a party is found to be um, in violation and refusal to enforce it, they automatically, not I say shall, get their attorney's fees. We kind of take that discretion away from the judge and make it more contractual. So it's always something to look at that. Uh, There's some statutes in Missouri that require uh, in the event of failure to pay child support or enforcement of custody that the court shall award fees. So there's things that I think guys you know, typically and generally across the country in family court, it's a court of equity in which the courts typically say they have the discretion to award fees. But yeah. absent some other language, I think that's important. So as we kind of wrap up the segment on, on visitation, what are some of the defenses that either they would see or if I'm the offending party, if I'm you know, refusing to provide custody or visitation for a reason, what are some of the defenses you would often see? All right. Well, so pretty much the only thing that can alter a court order is by getting a new court order. So you can't just decide that I don't want to follow the possession schedule anymore. There are some limited circumstances where the court might look at, you know, all the extenuating factors. So for example, we talked about not showing up. Well, that's voluntary relinquishment. Mm -hmm. So that's an affirmative defense to enforcement. Um, sometimes there's impossibility. So uh, I know in Texas, like when we had Hurricane Harvey, just, you know, there's like just no possible way for you to actually right. transport uh, the children safely. So the judges weren't holding people in contempt for not following the possession schedule. But like things with COVID, the Texas Supreme Court actually issued emergency order saying, hey, like shelter in place doesn't apply to exchanges of the children that's a necessary activity so yeah. uh, sometimes you have to look you know be a little bit creative and a little bit flexible in those uh, emergency situations but 
ultimately the only thing that can change a court order is another court order. So if you're saying, oh, okay, I have this family event that I want the child to go to. I know it's not your, it's not my weekend, but I was hoping that, you know, maybe I could have this weekend. Well, if the other side says no, that's just an unfortunate circumstance and probably not good co-parenting, but you can't force somebody to switch with you. Um, And so ultimately that would be contemptible. Um, But sometimes the court looks at the overall circumstances like, oh, well, you know, did they try to offer to trade? Were they doing some of these other things? And so that's when it's, you know, up to the judge's discretion and looking at, all right, well, what were the actual circumstances? Um, Judges don't like to see families coming back in court and fighting Mm -hmm. over a little bit sometimes petty issues. Um, So the judges want to see parents co-parenting and trying to be flexible with Mm -hmm. each other. So I would also offer that as a little bit of a cautionary advice. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the the kind of the moral of the stories we wrap it up is look, don't jump the gun and go to court right away. I mean, I think that is, but don't also wait too long. And that is specifically in summer. This is a classic where uh, some of our agreements, um, our clients are entitled to six weeks in the summer. It's either broken up in two-week segments or three-week segments. And lo and behold, they get denied their time, their first two weeks. Nope, they didn't show up. So then they think, okay, let's see if she makes it up for me. There's really not a lot of time to make it up. So in those instances, you file a family access motion, get in there, and we take her two weeks away. Yeah, uh, to in try Texas, to balance we call that a writ of habeas corpus. Right. And so I would think those are the instances where you really should be thinking about taking action. But here's where, you know, if it's a one-off, you know, maybe it happened this month or last month, but not this month, you start building your case. And then when it becomes more regular or it starts stacking, then you go ahead and file. And I think ultimately for guys listening, and that is this, you don't have to sit around and take the denials and just let them accumulate. Go Go have a consultation. Get on the phone, have a, a consultation on the phone, get on a WebEx or Zoom, have a Zoom consultation. Let's see what your rights are and see what you, it's going to take to enforce them and whether or not it's a cost benefit. Is this the right time? Is it going to cost too much? Am I going to get my money back, my, my fees back, those types of things? And, you know, I would encourage guys who too often uh, accept behavior in this manner and do nothing about it. And, right. you know, the laws exist for you to enforce. There are uh, remedies available, and so take advantage of them, but knowledge is power. So, Lauren, a great topic. Uh, guys, really a good, good thing to give them kind of a breakdown of what their rights are, what the remedies are, and what the defenses that they may see. So thanks for joining today. Well, thanks for having me, Scott. Yep, I look forward to the next segment and continue to tune in twice each week where we talk about things just like this, relevant to guys, uh, appropriate, and maybe even in the post-pandemic area uh, arena as we deal with issues surviving or revolving around custody. So uh, don't forget to check out our virtual town hall in April. You want to go to CordellCordell.com to check out more information with regards to that. Also, we'll be having some actual in-person and Zoom seminars for clients in the evenings around the country, particularly in Jackson, Mississippi, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, as well as Denver, Colorado. So if you live in those areas and you want to attend a seminar about the 10 stupidest mistakes guys make when facing divorce, check it out. Go to that webpage on our website at Cordell Cordell. Go to that office location in that state and you'll get more information about a seminar that I know will be of interest to you about the mistakes that guys often make 
um, when they're facing divorce, in the middle of divorce, or even post-divorce. So if you have questions, please give us a call at 866-DADS-LAW. Again, check us out at CordellCordell.com. Until next time, have a great week.